the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Assurance. Can you know that you'll be in heaven when you die? Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Listen in as Pastor Chris Chadwick begins a series of messages called Assurance and learn more about knowing heaven can be your home. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, Paul, the guy that wrote this letter, uh, the Bible people often say is a book. The Bible is not a book. It's really a collection of books. Uh, It's a collection of 66 different books by 40 different authors written over a period of 1,500 years. This is a really cool thing about the Bible. Um, It was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic on three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Uh, It was written by a divergent authorship. That's a big theological way of saying the dudes had different jobs. There were kings, there were priests, there were prophets, there were farmers, there were fishermen, uh, there were even lawyers and guys that worked for the IRS. Jesus can save tax collectors. You just need to know if he can do that, he can save anybody. You might say, my sin's greater. You're not a tax collector, you're good. But if you are a tax collector, we have special rooms for you. Um, They're really small and hot. No, I'm totally teasing. I'm totally teasing. They were, they were a different view or a different authorship, uh, different guys that different authored. And there's one central theme in all of the Bible. That's Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And over that 1500 year period, most of the men didn't get to read the other men's works. And yet there's not one contradiction in the entirety of the Bible. Why is that? Well, we believe this with all of our heart, that the Bible is inspired by God. That word inspired means God breathed, that God literally breathed his word into existence through the pen and personality of the authors that wrote it. And one of the guys is a guy named Paul. He was an attorney. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a guy who hated Jesus and he hated Christians passionately. He wanted to see the church destroyed and he wanted to see Christians destroyed. He would arrest Christians. He would threaten Christians. And the Bible says he even had some killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. But one day he was walking to this place called Damascus. He was walking from Jerusalem, Damascus in Syria. And he's walking there to persecute Christians. And on the way to Damascus, the apostle Paul, the author of this book has an encounter with Jesus Christ and his encounter with Jesus Christ changed everything about his life, everything about his eternity. You say, why is that? Because would you listen to me clearly? Jesus changes everything. Matter of fact, would you look at somebody next to you and say, Jesus changes everything. Now, you just said that like, like it's freshman year biology and you're sitting next to a girl that you like or a dude that you like. Like, I don't want to say it too excited. Now, if you're a Christian, look at somebody and say, Jesus changes everything. 
Yeah, Jesus does change everything. And the Apostle Paul's life was completely changed. And he's writing this church at Corinth and he's talking to them. I'm getting signals from, would you come and correct me? I don't know what you're doing. He's like telling me to pitch a fast pitch or something. What are you, what, what's going on? We have a green room for him to do that, but he waits till he gets out here. Anything else I need to do? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's great. You guys pray for us. He's getting fired tomorrow. Um, um, what was I, was I talking about the Bible or baseball? I wasn't, the apostle Paul. Yeah, thanks. The apostle Paul, uh, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus and it changes everything about his life, everything about what goes on in life. And um, his world is forever changed. And he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this passage that is so helpful to us. And I want you to notice in verse number one, where he says, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye received and wherein ye stand. Paul makes this statement. I declared, I want to make known this gospel, this good news that I preached or proclaimed unto you. The apostle Paul is writing a letter that is very, very personal. It's very practical and it's very helpful. And it's helpful to us. And this morning, I'm beginning a series entitled Assurance. It's a series on how you can know, just like the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, how you can know without any doubt at all in your heart and mind that you are saved, you have eternal life. We call it from a theological perspective, eternal security or assurance of salvation. And so I've titled this series Assurance, Finding Hope in God's Promises. Because here's what I understand emphatically. If you're not sure that when you died, you'd go to heaven, your life is going to be in consistent turmoil, consistent doubt, constant frustration, constant irritation, hoping, praying, wishing that things would work out well, when in reality... Jesus says this, the Bible says this, Paul says this, you can know without a doubt that when you die, heaven will be your home, which is why I titled today's message, You Can. My kids, I got two daughters. Uh, My daughter, Judith, is 26. She lives in Kailua, Hawaii. It's in the beautiful side of Oahu. Not that Waikiki is not nice, but it's like L.A., Super busy, it's beautiful nonetheless, but it's, it's like LA, super busy. My daughter lives on the other side of the island and uh, right next to Kaneohe in a little community called Kailua and uh, she's there and, and 26 years old, awesome. Her name is Judith, talked to her yesterday, I'll talk to her today. Talked to her just about every day um, and love it to death. My other daughter is Natalie, she's 24 years old, I've got two daughters and Natalie lives up in Lancaster, California, the armpit of the world. If you want to find the worst place in the world to live, go to Lancaster. You've just found it. You don't even have to drive very far. It's three hours away. You'll never want to live there. The high desert, windy, hot, stuff blows in your eyes all the time. That's where my daughter Natalie lives. She works at a Bible college there. She teaches in the, leads the graphics department, teaches in the graphics department there. Awesome kids. I love them both. My daughters, when they were small, I loved their age. I loved the age between like six and 11. Those were the best ages ever. You say, why six and 11? Because eventually they turned 12. 
Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about when they turn 12, just wait. But I can tell you on authority that life changes in the mind of a kid when they turn 12. And where dad and mom used to be the coolest people on the planet between 6 and 11, somewhere around 12, something happens. And, and, and they begin to think dad is less cool than he used to be. And, and, and where they used to think that you were the funniest guy on the planet, now they're just kind of mortified at your jokes. One time I was in Spokane, Washington. I was on a sabbatical and, and uh, I was going up there. I was up there for three weeks by myself. And then Debbie came up for a week and then Judith and Natalie came up. So I hadn't seen him in like five weeks. And I showed up at the airport dressed like a German tourist. I had suspenders on and shorts on and high socks and dress shoes and really dorky looking glasses and my hair parted down the middle and I showed up at the airport with a big giant sign and uh, as they came off the plane, I'm just cheering at the top of my lungs and Judith and Natalie come off the plane kind of excited to see us and as soon as they see me, I'm not exaggerating when they were like, no, and they tried to run the other way but they wouldn't let them back in because of TSA, praise God for TSA for the first time ever. And they just had to sit there. They're like, still to this day, they're like, that's the worst joke you ever played. I said, joke, that wasn't a joke. I was really happy to see you. Dad, you looked like an idiot. I said, well, I'm sorry, not really. And, but, but before that, that age of 12, they would have thought that was hilarious. When they were younger, people at our church always used to ask me, Pastor, can we take your kids? We have people that do fun stuff and things like that. Uh, not that I didn't do fun stuff, but I'm not as fun as the you know people that aren't their dad. And they'd say, hey, we're going hiking or we're going camping or we're doing this. And, and they would come and say, hey, can we take Judith and Natalie with us? And Judith and Natalie would be staring at me like this. And they would say, Dad, can we, can we, can we, can we, can we? And even if they weren't verbalizing it, you know the feeling when your kids are like bouncing around and kind of jumping at their feet and spinning around in circles like a puppy that's getting a treat. And, and that, they were doing that. And I would always look at them when I wanted to make a positive, affirmative statement to them. And I would say this, you can. When I said you can, it changed the tenor of the day and it added a measure of security to them that they did not previously have. They were wondering before I said that, will we get to do this? And when I said you can, it settled everything. The apostle Paul is writing here a group of people who were just like you. Matter of fact, they're in a city that's very similar to the city of San Diego. Corinth was a very wealthy city in its day. We're a very wealthy city. Corinth was a port city. They had a lot of of sailing traffic in it. We are a port city. Now, most of our port work has to deal with the military and and the four or three or four bases that we have on the water here. Most of ours is that way. Theirs was more commercial, but they were a port city. We're a port city. It was a very popular tourist destination. We're a very popular tourist destination. They were known for their athletics. San Diego is known for being one of the most fit cities in the world. And we have an Olympic training center here. We're a very athletic city. Uh, The city of Corinth was known for their parties. The city of San Diego is known for the gas lamp area. And San Diego State, we're known for our parties. It was, in many ways, a very wicked city. And in many ways, the city of San Diego is a wicked city. There's a lot of parallels between the two. 
And Paul is writing a group of people in our text and he is declaring unto them that they can know without a doubt that they have eternal life. Notice what he says in verse number one again. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. I've delivered this news to you. I've made known this news to you. Well, what is this news? Verse number two. By which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. He uses this word saved. Now, if you pick up or a book or a modern day book or you listen to or watch a, a movie, you might hear people ridicule or make fun of that word saved. The word saved is a Bible word that means to be delivered from danger or delivered from destruction. Paul is saying this, you can know that you're eternally delivered from destruction. You can know that you're eternally delivered from danger unless you believed in vain. Unless you believe, verse number two, and the whole point of your believing was just to uh, accomplish something in your life. You can know that you are saved, because it's a Bible word, we'll use it, that you're saved unless you were just pretending to have put your faith and trust in Christ. Verse number three. For I declare unto you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul says, I'm I'm telling you what I received. This isn't theoretical for me. Paul's saying, this is very practical for me. I've received what I'm telling you. I heard it and I believe it on the road to Damascus. This became very real to me. Paul's saying that I've received what I'm about to tell you. Well, what am I about to tell you? Verse number three, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. See, here's the reality. Christ died for our sins. Well, what do you mean? Are you saying I'm a sinner? I'm not saying you're a sinner. God is. But yes, you're a sinner. And so am I. And Christ died for our sins in accordance with what the Old Testament said some 2,000 to 750 years prior. Well, pastor, are you really saying I'm Yeah, I'm saying you're a sinner. I'm saying every single one of us in this room understands we've done wrong. There's not a person in this room that's going, no, I think I'm perfect. Now you might say, I don't think I need Jesus or I don't think I have to repent of my sin or I don't think, but there's not a person in this room that thinks that they're without error or they're without problem. Every single one of us in this room understand this fundamental reality. We have sinned, erred against God. There's a universal moral law, the Bible says in Romans chapter one, that's written on the heart of all mankind. This universal moral law that's written on the heart of all mankind tells us things like it's wrong to kill three-year-old girls anywhere in the world at any time. That's just wrong. We know that it's wrong universally to lie, to cheat, to steal. 
That's why people even who deny God, who would call themselves atheists, we met this week a guy when we were out putting flyers on many of your doors, many of you came because you got a flyer in your door. When we were out putting flyers on doors this week, one of our uh, ministry staff met a guy who said, now, I don't really want one, just so you know, I'm a radical atheist. Radical atheists still believe in a universal moral law that says it's wrong to lie, it's wrong to cheat, it's wrong to commit adultery, it's written on the heart of man, whether you believe the Bible or not, you understand that you cannot live a perfect life. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Just like the Bible said. Verse number four. Now we're getting to the good stuff. And he was buried and rose again the third day. Just like the scripture said. And he did it under his own power. Under his own power. And that question, folks, changes everything. Did Jesus really rise from the grave? If he did... It changes everything. If he didn't, it's an utter waste of time. Matter of fact, we see in our text this morning, the apostle Paul is establishing, he's established what the gospel is, but now he wants to give credence to the message of the gospel. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus loves you, he died for you, and if you will put your faith and trust in him, he promises to give you eternal life. If you will trust Jesus as your savior, he will give you eternal life. And Paul says, before you just believe that based on what I say, I want you to notice the resurrection, and here's what Paul is saying in verses 5 to 10. I want you to notice the validity of the resurrection. Notice what he says in verse number 5. That he was seen of Cephas after he rose from the grave. Then of the 12, the 12 apostles. And that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some have fallen asleep. Cephas is Peter. He was kind of the spokesman for the disciples. He says, guys, you need to understand this. Church at Corinth, you need to understand this. When I talk about the gospel and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and the question, did Jesus really rise from the grave? Before you blow that off and think it's no big deal, you need to understand that Jesus was seen of Peter. His most prominent follower, but also the guy who denied Christ three times, and it was well known to everybody. And it changed Peter's life. He was then seen of the 12 apostles. And he was finally seen of 500 brethren at one time. Now, in that day, in that era, they would not allow women to testify in court. So Paul's just talking about 500 dudes that he, they saw him at once. But there were probably an equal number, if not more, ladies that saw him. Now, in our day, we would obviously have ladies be able to testify. Let me tell you, if it's our church male staff members or our female staff members, I want the ladies testifying. These guys are liars. <laughs> I lie all day long. I'm obviously teasing. But they didn't, they didn't allow that. But, but you could argue that Jesus was seen by about 1,100 different people at one time. At one time. 
So there's a validity to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if you, if I see you go into a store, or let's rephrase it, if you see me go into a store and um, you see me uh, grab an iPhone and throw it in my pocket and walk out uh, and you run to the management and say, hey, I saw Chris steal an iPhone, put it in his pocket and walk out and they come up to me and, and I've already taken all the stickers off and everything. I'm like, no, this is my iPhone. And I'm sure that you techni- techno guys would be like, oh, there's a way we can find out. Okay, go back to your basement for a minute and just work with the illustration, all right? You get what I'm saying. And, and I take the iPhone and you're like, and you're like that's, that's theirs. And I'm like, no, it's mine. It's theirs. No, it's mine. But then somebody else comes up and they say, um, uh, store manager, I, I need to tell you something as well. I saw him steal that too. Oh, you saw him steal that as well? Yeah, and then another person comes, and then 15 people come, and then before long, a thousand people are standing outside the iPhone store, and they say, Chris stole that iPhone. Guess what's happening? In California, nothing. But normally, normally, I'm going to end up going to jail for theft, Why? Because a thousand people testified that they saw me do that, that they saw me steal something, that they saw me take something that didn't belong to mine. And a thousand eyewitnesses give credibility and the preponderance of the evidence proves what I did. And if a thousand people saw Jesus, and this is what Paul is saying, look at it, verse number six, and the greater part or most of them remain or are still alive unto this day. Some of them have fallen asleep, but most of them are still alive. Not only are they eyewitnesses, they're eyewitnesses that you can go to and you can talk to them even today. And there's a greater point about the validity of the resurrection. If you wanted to destroy Christianity or end Christianity, all you had to do was to find the body of Jesus. You find the body of Jesus, every claim in the Bible is nullified. Every claim about Jesus is nullified. Why? Because the Bible says he would rise from the grave. And here's God's standard. If I'm wrong in one point, I'm wrong in every point. And so if you could find the body of Jesus, make no mistake. Christianity has lost all its validity. Now, here's what some folks will say. Well, his disciples came and they stole his body. Now, you've got to remember, the disciples were a disorganized group of pompous, arrogant jerks. That's really what they were. We could, I, I thought about titling the series one time, The Jerks of the Bible, but my wife said that that would be a self-proclamation, so I didn't do it. But the disciples often just messed up. And they never messed up more than when they denied Jesus at the cross. They've walked away from Christ when he's in the tomb. But let's just argue for a minute that that didn't happen. And they were an organized group of 11 men, of tax collectors, of attorneys, of fishermen, of agriculture workers. That's who they are. Now, we know, according to the scripture and history, that Jesus' tomb was guarded by 16 Roman guards in shifts over a period of three days. 
because they didn't want the disciples to steal the body of Christ. And the Roman guards had to guard the body of Christ with their life. If they lost the body of Christ, and there was only one way out. I've been in the tomb. You could not pierce through the backside. There's only one door in the front. And the Roman guards are there and they're watching and they're literally watching for their life. If they lose Jesus, they lose their life. If they lose the body. And there's 16 of them. And they're literally the best trained fighters in Palestine. And they've got shields and they've got swords and they've got slingshots. And they've got all kinds of stuff. And these 11 disciples are going to take them out with fishing hooks? What are they going to bait those hooks with? It would be tantamount to us saying this. Uh, Pastor Bernie, the guy who likes to interrupt church, and I, and Peter Garza, St. Garza, the guy who gave the announcement, skinniest dude I know, and Garza, and John Shivas, the guy who's playing the guitar, if the four of us go up against eight well-trained Navy SEALs, truth be told, we have a lot of Navy SEALs in our church. I've seen them. I ain't scared. Go up against those guys. We'd go up. We would be so disorganized. Bernie would run around in a circle. He'd try to talk them into submission. Uh, John would grab Zane. Zane's so skinny. John would try to use Zane as a spear. Um, I would be over in the corner in quiet contemplative prayer awaiting my Jesus. No, I, I would be out front probably dead. There's zero chance of us being able to do that. And here's what the disciples would have had to do. They would have had to beat every one of those uh, Roman guards uh, to unconsciousness without ever touching their bodies. You've been listening to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Tune in next week, Sunday at 1030 a.m., as Pastor Chris Chadwick continues this message about knowing how you can be in heaven with Jesus. Speaking of, if you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian and how to go to heaven after you die, we invite you to visit our website, canyonridgebaptist.com, for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, Make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m. at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, our pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at CanyonRidgeSanDiego.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.